Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 95, listener feedback number three, recorded March 9th, not March, May 19th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. There you go, the first 30 seconds, not even 37 seconds into the show, I blew it. Welcome to the welcome to the show, people. That's Boom. how we do things. That's how we roll here on Everyday Linux. Something like that. <laughs> uh, so it's so cool. We've been getting so much feedback lately that uh, we uh, we went for a long time without a listener feedback show, and then it was months between listener feedback shows, and now we've had two in uh, I think five weeks. And this isn't even all the listener feedback. I've gotten more that I just didn't think we could fit into this show. So great, guys. Keep it up. Awesome. Uh, but this show is now uh, all about you. We will uh, pontificate and answer questions as we can, but you have officially driven and programmed the show. So thanks for that. Um, once again, sadly, we are Sethless. We There is no gooey kid this week. Uh, he called me a little while ago uh, and said he was lost in New York City. Uh, and I said, I totally understand that. Uh, I don't blame you for being lost. A boy from Fruitvale, and- Texas, being lost in New York City. Uh, so he's trying. He hasn't found his hotel yet, and he hasn't made it uh, to where he needs to be. But he will be with us. Um, but we do have, of course, the command line temporarily uh, officially known as the command line godfather. But that may be changing. Mr. Chris Neves. Hi, Chris. It may be changing, huh? Well, what, what's in the pod? What? What? what huh? <laughs> uh, we'll find out. We, we, a listener has uh, has challenged your title and said that you have Uh-oh. not you have not uh, earned it. Ooh. <laughs> said that you are not we'll the see. command line we'll godfather. See. We'll we'll get to that a little later on. Oops. There you go, everybody. <laughs> Read my email. Sorry about that. You clicked the wrong button. That's what gets Leo reported in so much trouble. Uh oh. That's why he has a director now that controls the cameras. <laughs> I think like three times now in the course of his podcasting career, he has shown illicit sex chat on the air. Um, oops. <laughs> At least it's not that bad of a foobar. Yeah, I mean, there, there are worse things. I think once was with his wife and the other two was with his girlfriend post-wife. So, you know, neither of those are tragic, but still, oops. <laughs> It's nice to know a guy that old still. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> hey, Chris, how's the latest uh, 30-day challenge of Gnome Shell going? Oh, it's painful. It's painful. You know, and, and I'm I'm wondering if it's just the fact that I'm running it on this particular laptop and it may not have the balls to handle it. But between this one and Unity, I don't know if I'm ever going to survive playing with Gnome. Well, Gnome Shell, <laughs> or, Gnome Shell is lo- or Unity is loosely built on Gnome Shell, right? So it's some of the same underlying right. libraries. So it makes sense you're going to see some of the same kind of problems. Yep. So yeah, it's it's very, especially after coming off of that LXDE challenge, and they go into something as heavy as Unity and Gnome Three. Man, I feel it when it takes almost 15 minutes to go from boot to functional desktop. Man, there's something wrong. And uh, that's, that's back. That's like I'm Windows at. 95 days right there. I know it's it's horrible. And, you know, I, I thought maybe it was my hard drive or maybe something else. And so I started testing things. No, didn't matter. Brand new hard drive, brand new RAM. No, nothing. 
absolutely the same results no matter what I did. And I'm not going to go out and spend the money for an SSD. That's just ludicrous for a 30-day challenge, especially when LXDE or XFCE was functional within 10 seconds after I typed in my password. So <laughs> that's... That's a problem in my so, book. So what, we're say- what I hear you saying is that the early reports for Gnome Shell are not entirely positive. No, no, not yet. <laughs> we'll see, though. We'll see. I, maybe, I don't think anybody of, maybe, any of us is surprised by that. <laughs> no, I'm not. But maybe I'll get used to the, 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 the fancy key shortcuts that they've put into Gnome Shell that it might win me over. But I don't know. It's kind of rough. All right, my family just got home. I hear dogs barking and footsteps above me. So if you hear weird noises coming over the transom anytime soon, that's what that is. Just uh, like to let people know. Uh, one <laughs> thing I did this uh, Friday is I earned a nerd badge uh, by seeing the new Star Trek movie on opening night, the uh, the new Star Trek Into Lens Flare. Um, and uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers about that, but I will say that there were parts of it I totally loved. And parts of it I totally hated, and often they were exactly the same parts. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah. Well, and intriguing at the same time. Now I want to go see it. Thanks, Mark. Uh, totally worth watching, uh, but you do have to accept and bear in mind the fact that this is a complete reboot, and everything you knew for the last 20, 30, 40 years, really, of Star Trek doesn't exist. Once you wrap your mind around that, and they established that in the first movie by i think it was a sentence or two um once you sort of accept that you can see it for what it is um but yeah. there there are parts that there i can't say anything and the reason you haven't heard anything about it like in the trailers or anything is like the whole mel uh, whole whole mel the whole movie is a spoiler so i can't tell you anything about the movie because everything huh. would be a spoiler um so anyway there um it, it's it's totally worth seeing i think uh i you know i did not regret having gone and spent the 20 bucks to see it. Uh, and when it comes out on DVD, I'll buy it. Uh, is it as good as, you know, uh, Undiscovered Country or The Voyage Home or The Wrath of Khan, those original highlights from the original series? I don't think so. Hmm. But good as far as uh, our standards go right now for movie goers. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a very modernized version. Lots, you know, the the all the Star Trek, the TV shows, the movies, all of them were very sort of uh, slow moving intellectual things. There was action every now and then, and this is J.J. Abrams, right? He's all about the action. It's like we haven't seen um, a chick in her bikini or anybody get killed in the in the last five minutes. Let's do something. Um, so anyway, that's uh, um, that that's the way he does movies and so that's what you can expect going into this one lots of things blow up lots of people get punched in the face but at the end of it you know i enjoyed it hmm well that'll definitely be on my uh list of movies to watch in my free time so i'll be interested to hear from the listeners any of you who've seen it you know let me know what you think um uh and if you you know don't no spoilers on twitter people you know we can have that tweet that tweet versation but keep it civil for the people who haven't seen it yet uh, anyway. Yeah, protect my, protect my virgin ears, at least as far as that movie goes. <laughs> but I did watch Undiscovered Country, uh, number six, just this weekend. It happened to be on television, and uh, <laughs> I was just awestruck by how incredibly cheesy it, it is by today's standards. You know, there's that scene there where they're 
the Klingon ship has the gravity taken away and they're all floating around and that's shot that they were so super proud of the pink blood sort of floating around in the ship you know by today's standards looks like something that you know any kid with photoshop could do better not photoshop but uh um <laughs> any of the movie programs what is that uh, um Movie maker, not movie maker. What is the one I'm thinking of? Anyway, premiere. There we go. Uh, <laughs> any kid with that could do better. Uh, but it's just, it's funny. By the way, spoiler alert. The Klingon ship loses its gravity in Star Trek Undiscovered Country, a movie that came out 25 years ago. So, sorry. Didn't mean to ruin that for anybody. <laughs> anyway. So, what did you do this weekend? Anything <laughs> of, of, of note? Uh, well, the only thing of really note this week... Uh, is my wife decided to try her luck at making a turkey. And yes, I know, everyone will be shocked that Chris doesn't have... His wife never made a turkey before? No, we have never made a turkey. We both come from very large families that when they we do Thanksgiving or any type of, of a function that would have turkey dinner, it's already been made by somebody else in the family with their secret family recipe. So the wife decided that, hey, we've had this turkey since Thanksgiving or something somewhere around there. It's been frozen. It we need to use it. So let's use it. So we cooked it. And uh it's I'm still alive. I'm not in the hospital. So she did a really good job. And uh you know the it was so unique that I actually had a turkey where the meat actually fell off the bones because it was so moist. Never experienced that before. It was really entertaining and really good. So kudos to my wife. Yeah, the first uh turkey I ever made i served it was actually four turkeys and i served it to 200 people so i really you know i i go big when i go all out <laughs> um we had a, a school-wide my where my wife taught way back when had a um a school-wide thanksgiving feast for the for the uh parents of the kids and mm-hmm. they needed somebody to cook the turkeys and she said my husband likes to cook and so there you go <laughs> You got railroaded into yeah. another one. And nobody died. Um, there weren't a whole lot of people coming back for seconds, though. Since then, I have Uh-oh. refined my te- technique, and I can make a darn good turkey. But that that was, I was 22 or something back then. Yeah, it was uh, my first big attempt at catering <laughs> in any way. And yeah, you take one of the hardest things. But actually, it's really not, because people are used to bad turkeys. Thanksgiving <laughs> and Christmas are, you know, so often surrounded by bad turkeys. People have just come to accept that. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Okay, so we don't have any news this week because Seth wasn't around to do it. We didn't know Seth wasn't going to be around to do it. So, I mean, usually I would fill in or Chris would fill in, but it was so last minute. Just a little peek behind the veil here. Typically what happens is I make the show notes um, anytime between Monday and and Sunday afternoon, it's it really can't be anywhere around that time. Um, or sometimes I go wait so long, Chris goes ahead and makes and puts them up. Uh, but because um, uh, they can't depend on the document being there, Seth always just sort of gathers all his stuff throughout the week. And once I get the notes up, he just dumps in a copy paste. So he may have a whole bunch of stuff there, but there wasn't anything for him to copy paste into. So we have no news, but we have plenty. Of feedback this week, uh, I don't think you will walk away from your uh, commute unsatisfied by the time we get through all of this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's lengthy, guys. So sit down, get your bucket of popcorn. Let's see if we can have some fun. So we begin with a little voicemail. 
uh, from a fellow who likes to call himself Wise One in the chat room, and he has some words directly for the command line. Maybe Godfather, maybe not. Oh, hey, uh, hopefully not absent uh, gooey kids. Uh, and the command line ticker, Chris. Oh, I say the ticker ouch! Because uh, until you take the Gen Two challenge, I'd have to say that you just tinker in the command line. I know you got challenge going this month, but next month that's just you just struggle with Gen Two. Hopefully, it won't take you three weeks to do it again. Anyways, keep up good work, guys, and we'll see you later. Bye. So there you go. The gauntlet has been thrown down. You are the gooey tinkerer oh. until you complete the Gen Two thirty oh. day challenge. The, the Gen Two challenge, or the huh? Command line tinkerer, rather. Yes. Oh well, jeez, uh, man, that's just evil. <laughs> Evil, 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 wise one. I might have to find you and like smite you with the command line tools. Um, ow. You know, tinkerer. I've built my own kernels and I'm still a tinkerer? Really? All right. All right. Challenge accepted. After the Gnome 3 challenge, I'll try and get Gen 2 on my uh my laptop. Hopefully I can get the Wi-Fi to work. We'll see. Um, yes. We'll see. And, and, and- if wise one you might have a a, a few. Uh, I don't know. I'll find you, and I, I will <laughs> smack you in the head with with the CDs that Gen Two came on. How's that sound? <laughs> if I remember correctly, he lives in Nevada, uh, so you know it's not too far away. If you want to drive down and smack him, there you go. No, 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 no uh, uh, issues with using one of the stages or anything else. I have to use what? Just the straight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and Richard in the chat room who we issued the challenge last week said if you're not man enough for Gen 2 then use Arch <laughs> alright here how, how's this sound you guys you guys have thrown the challenges out we'll go uh, a, a month of Gen 2 and then a month of Arch just so you guys can get off my back and then I'll go back to my peace loving Lubuntu <laughs> or LXDE versions by then and you guys you know curl in a corner and you know, pray not to die or something. Now, just for the record, I'm the one who who brought Arch into play. So let's not blame the the command line tinkerer for that one. That was me. Uh, <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> Wise one says that Chris will will de- declare his love for unity after a month with Gen Two. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I may you know ha- I may have uh, some. Uh, sp- yeah, I don't know. That that would take a lot. I would have to be very drunk for me to do that. <laughs> oh, from scratch? Bite me, Richard. No way I'm doing it from scratch. I did that last time, and it's not going to happen. I have to use this laptop for work still. Thank you. So uh, if you would like to uh, get in on this great interaction live right here before us and be a part of the show, you can do that uh, every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern right there on elementop.com slash live where we do this show. You can pull up the chat room and like Richard and Wise One are doing, you can be a part of the show um, and and haze us as we do the show. Uh, But for right now, we've got some listeners who are going to be a part of the show in the form of their emails. And, and contact. And we're going to start with Joe, who hits us with a barrage of questions. So uh, sit back, grab the uh, beverage of your choice, and get ready for um, uh, a little uh, afternoon with Joe. 
as he begins uh, asking us questions. He begins out with, he's categorized them, which I thought was nice. Old kernels. I was given a monitor that works but has no vertical adjustments, such as the bottom of the screen is not visible. That makes Windows or any Linux distro with the menu docks on the bottom problematic. I installed Ubuntu 10.04 with the GNOME 2 desktop, and the problem was solved. The menus were at the top of the screen, so I could see them. I was able to get that old ISO from a CD in the back of an Ubuntu book from the local library. Awesome. Since it's uh, long-term support, it's okay. Uh, is it okay to use such an old distro with an old kernel? Would it be better to install Ubuntu uh, and um, 1304 and get the latest and greatest kernel since LXDE desktop also puts the menus at the top of the screen? What are some of the risks slash pros and cons of running an older distro or kernel? FYI, I asked about Ubuntu because the box I'd installed on falls into the older slash limited hardware category. GNOME 2 ran great. Unity, not so much. <laughs> uh, so there's a couple of options that you have there. You can actually update the kernel right there on your box. If you're that kind of geek and you want to. No, I would say don't. Um, my take on that is the kernel, while it does often have security things that need to be updated, is like if, if you're going with the overall attack vector of things that can get you, not just necessarily viruses and malware, but just things that are broken. So if you can consider all of those threats, the overall you know threat vector, um, the kernel is like 8% of them. I just, I don't think it's a big deal. I, uh, particularly on servers, I run old kernels all the time, like years old kernels. Uh, and then, you know, I've got my, my firewall, my Boris box that I, I talked about, for example. Gosh, I don't even know what kernel that is. It's probably a, a 1998 or nine vintage. Um, so no, uh, kernels uh, being updated or, or security uh, things are, are, can be a big deal if it's a mission critical sort of thing. But for your laptop that you're using at your home, I just think it's a non-issue. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I would say about the same thing. Um, you know, there are very few kernel issues. that I mean, there's a lot of memory leaks that they fix in the kernel and things of that sort. But otherwise, as far as security glitches go, not very many of them are in the kernel. They're usually in something that lines on the outside of the kernel using it to do something else. So, um, you know, maybe try and see if there's a way to... I don't know. I don't know if it, depending on how old the system is, I don't know if it'd be worth upgrading to a kernel, a, a newer version, because the newer version of kernels, you know, they, they disable a lot of things. They take them right. out. So that might be a problematic for you, depending on the age of the machine. Um, I say just run with it. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah. It, as long as your software's working, I wouldn't worry about it too right. much. Uh, but if, if you're starting to run into the fact that you can't get Flash to update anymore or you can't get cur uh, Chromium or Firefox to run on it, then you might want to start looking at upgrading to the more ver more current versions of the, that distro. And 10.04 is is getting a little long in the tooth, uh, but it's still, I mean, it's still a current considered distro, right? They uh, yeah. There's five years of support of that, so that's going to be useful uh, there's going to be updated and supported up through 2015. Uh, yeah, so technically, with it being a long-term support, though, it should have the more recent kernels. You know, if you're going that way, it should. I don't see why they wouldn't update the kernels when they update things. Yeah, I guess I, the question would be is when what does um, Canonical consider long-term support? Is it just 
some of their pre-built packages or is it kernel packages as well, well they're just they're a lot slower about updating the long-term ones uh they you know because they're long-term support you may not see a kernel update and they might skip two or three before they port it down so you're technically running insecure but anything that was that's a big deal that they deem is important that is you know is a a, a major security is, issue they'll push that on down so yeah i yeah. wouldn't worry about it and then he moves on to his next category, Distro for Backup Machines. He says, I enjoyed and appreciated the recent show on Backup PC and the info on Crash Plan. I want to intimate, implement a dedicated machine just for backups, as well as put another dedicated box across town in my in-laws house to accomplish the off-site through Crash Plan. I've never installed a server distro, and I'm not versed in the command line. Apparently, neither is Chris, according to Wise One. Uh, for the dedicated yeah, no backup kidding. box, do you recommend a new to Linux person install a regular desktop distro or a server distro? Are there benefits to running a server distro versus a desktop? You've mentioned CentOS before as your preferred server distro, but what distro, server, or desktop would you recommend for a newbie to install on a dedicated backup machine? All right. A server install, most of the time, is just the desktop with the desktop stuff taken out. That's all there is to yep. it. Or really, a better way to put it is the desktop distro is the server distro with the GUI stuff thrown on top of it. So in terms of functionality, uh, you're not going to lose anything with going with the, the quote-unquote desktop version of, say, Ubuntu. You'll be fine. You're gonna you're not gonna lose anything. You're gonna gain a little overhead. It's gonna take a little more RAM. It's gonna take a little more hard drive space. Uh, you're gonna have processes running that you're not gonna use because you're running. You know, for the most most part, you're not accessing that GUI, but it's still there. It's still taking resources. That's why the diehards uh, run a a, a a headless. You know, no GUI uh, command line only server distro. I never do. I have always installed the GUI version of everything I've done every time I've done a server. So you're fine. Yeah, I would say you're fine. Um, yeah, there really isn't a big difference between the distro versus the desktop. Now, if you're talking like the CentOS or uh, cent, uh, is it scientific Linux mm -hmm. that are geared more towards servers, you might see their, them update a little less frequently because they're geared towards a server environment. Um but uh, you know, as far as functionality goes, there is no big difference between the two. Uh, you know, maybe take CentOS under your wing and see if it's some, or or scientific and see if it's something that you can handle. Uh, but as far as as functionality wise, there's almost no difference. Yeah, you're going to be just fine uh, picking your favorite distro, whatever it is, and going with it. As for what I recommend, it doesn't matter. Do what you're comfortable with. That's really all there is to that. Uh, and the next subheading, and, and he has. Uh, go ahead, Chris. I was gonna say, and you know, VirtualBox could be your friend there. You there know, you if go. you're gonna try a couple of different ones, VirtualBox at first to see if you can handle it, and then move on. All right. The next category says Unitaskers. I've heard your stance on Unitaskers. I plan to follow that for the firewall, but possibly deviate from it from the backup box. I'd like to run a list Linux distro in a VM on a separate dedicated drive. Uh, within my home theater PC, the home theater PC records TV and streams Netflix and does not store large amounts of data. Uh, uh, large amounts of media. Uh, the data that I would be backing up in the VM uh, is just pictures and home videos uh, of my kids. The only really important data that would be devastating to lose if my house burned down. The home theater PC is on a twenty-four is on twenty-four-seven has plenty of processor and RAM to uh, to accomplish both. So, what are the risks of commingling a home theater PC 
and backup functions. Would the data be safer in a dedicated box? So I'm gonna, there's, there's a couple of questions there that you may not even know you ask in that. If you're yeah. planning on using the VM as the storage medium for your backup, don't. Bad idea. Uh, yeah, very bad. D- that Because there's, at that point, say you have a d- uh, uh, something you've got to recover. You've got uh, you know a problem on that machine. You, everything's locked in that VMDK file or whatever format you use, the virtual file. Um, and so you've got to get another machine up, get whatever your virtual box installed on it, then load the VM. Then you can finally get to your data. And accessing it is going to be an order of magnitude slower. VMs are just slow when it comes to disk access. It's the it's the nature of the way they work. Essentially, they're putting everything into a zip file and then pulling it out when you need it. Uh, uh, putting things in, writing is slower than reading, but both are at least 10 times slower than on native hardware. Now, what I did say in the past is you could run a VM, uh, you could have a VM running like a backup PC, but have it attached to real hardware uh, uh, storage. Never use virtual storage for backup. You're just asking for trouble. It's going to have cause performance issues. It's going to complicate the install. Uh, and it's it's just not a bad idea. Don't do that. Now, yeah, if you want to run that VM on your home theater PC, I got no problem with that. But put the storage on a NAS or somewhere else. Words right out of my mouth. I couldn't say anything else. Okay. Um. And the second question, would data be safer in a dedicated box? Well, of course. The The more you spread things out, the safer it is, plain and simple. Yeah, and the other thing that would be nice, as long as you're not putting your, your data in that VM file, say uh, the hard drive blows up with all your pictures and video videos of your kids, you know, that can be sent off to someone like Drive Savers to recover it, where if it's on a, VM, a VDK or a virtual hard drive of some sort, if that hard drive itself corrupts, it, the chances of getting that database goes down significantly. Yeah, yeah, good point. So your data corruption becomes a much bigger deal at that point. Yep. All right, next section, he says, Handbrake uh, Linux versus Windows. After several attempts to rip some DVDs, all legally purchased, with Handbrake, I've never succeeded. I'm using Handbrake on a Windows machine because the machines with Linux do not have the processor horsepower of my main family computer do you guys use handbrake in linux or windows and is there a difference um handbrake in windows cannot rip a dvd that function uh functionality uh was never there there's not a library uh for that 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 handbrake used handbrake on linux could do it and they removed that feature but it's a simple library install to put it back so if you're trying to actually extract the movies from your disk on Windows using Handbrake, you will never succeed. That f- functionality simply isn't there. Uh, what I have done in the past is ripped them on a Linux machine uh, and then copied them over to a Windows machine for whatever purpose. But my process right now, because as I've said before, my personal laptop is Windows, is I use a product called DVD Fab, uh, which uh, is a paid-for product, but the the core version of just ripping stuff is always free. Uh, they you have to pay for extra version uh, extra functionality. I rip it with that, and then I use Handbrake to convert it to an MP4. Um, so it's a two step process. Handbrake on Linux will make that a one step process. You say, "Here's my DVD. I want it in MP4. Go." Uh, so that's that's optimum. But if you're in the Windows world, uh, I don't know of a free way to do both in one step. 
there are paid alternatives, uh, DVD Fab, for yeah. example, will do that. But I don't know of a free version that will, a free option that lets you do it both in one step. You could, um, let's see, you could look into, uh, as far as free versions, you could look in, or, I don't know of any free because you'd, you'd have to have something that would decode it as well or decode that encryption. Uh, there is a paid product, and I want to say it's from the Slysoft company that makes your drives look like a block device that then Handbrake can actually touch. But it is a paid-for product, so you wouldn't be able to do it that way. Um, yeah, for free, I don't really don't know of any off the top of my head that are free-free. I, I do all my stuff in Linux, and I don't ever have a problem because I don't have a Windows PC that I touch. So, yeah. All right. Uh, in next section, he asks about VMs. Should VMs have a separate NIC from the host OS? Uh, should? No. They can. It's one of the nice things yeah. about it. Totally not required. And I really don't really see why you'd need to, technically. I mean, as long as the, the machine itself, the if you're using VirtualBox or something like that, they tap right into your network card anyway. And the only reason that it would cause any issues is if you are for some reason exceeding the bandwidth of that device and that's exactly so why would, i did it on my on my big server my big vm server where i used to work it had four nicks but i had 15 vms on it uh, so i divided each of those up between the four nicks to spread out the load so that i wasn't killing one um so yeah. you, you can you certainly can do that you have that option uh the benefits of doing it on just a regular home machine are pretty minimal because at that point it's probably not your machine that is going to be bandwidth overloaded but your connection your wi-fi or your little hub that you got in the house so really yeah. there i don't see any reason for a home user to do that no i don't either um but on the server side yeah there that's why they have like one of the rigs that at work with that i that i have right now it has what 15 different nick cards in it they're all running through pci express you know there there's just a ton of bandwidth being pumped through that machine so there's a reason for having all those cards, but as far as a home user, I don't ever, I don't foresee a reason needing to have a dedicated card. And you if you're listening at home, bonus. if you're listening at home and you you're not a network geek and you don't know what NIC is, yeah, that stands for Network Interface Card. That's that's industry slang. So when I say NIC, that's Network Interface Card, the network card, the plug-in, the jack that looks like a, a slightly bigger phone cable. Uh, is what he's talking about. Do I want to have a separate one of those for my virtual machine or not? Um, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> you uh, could, but no, no, not needed. Right. Yeah, they certainly have. I, I don't know of any program that can't do that. They all have that ability. Uh, but uh, remembering that you always end up going through the, the the host OS anyway. So if you've got a Windows VM on a Linux machine, you're always accessing the network through Linux anyway. So that's the OS that's doing the bandwidth splitting and, and shaping and all of that. So it's oftentimes those things will sort of self-regulate. If you've got two NICs and you plug them both into a hub, the OS, if it's a smart OS, will go, oh, I see I have two different paths now. I'm going to spread that out. The dumb ones go, oh, let's send everything down both and brings the whole network down. <laughs> I've seen that more than once. 
Uh, oh, next question, too. XBMC. I do not use XBMC to stream uh, local media over my home network, only to access TV shows through the free cable plug-in in, the, in XBMC. Uh, I think it's a site scraper that will stream any show that's available on the host network's website. Unfortunately, it only seems to work some of the time. Is XBMC rock solid for you guys for other than local media? Is there a better alternative? I know Hulu is available, but it's riddled with commercials and doesn't always have every show. Uh, the host network websites also contain commercials. I really dislike watching commercials, so Hulu is a non-starter. Uh, the great thing about XBMC's free cable plug-in is that it's commercial-free. It's like Netflix, but for the current season. I just wish it worked uh, when I wanted to use it. So I'm wondering if XBMC uses uh, issues are common uh, for all for others. Um, yes, uh, because XB, like you said, it's just a scraper. So what's what's available on the web is what it gets for you. It just makes it easier uh, than you going out and doing it. The problem is not XBMC. The problem is NBC and CBS and ABC uh, not putting all their content out or only putting some of their content out or maybe 20 minutes of an hour show. So XBMC is not the problem. Uh, if you want to watch live current TV, really your only choice is to, to pay somebody like Dish Network or Comcast. They're, you know the, I don't know of anybody out there who can come close to that? Some people can, you know, Hulu promises that, but they fall short, as you just said. Not everybody puts their stuff on Hulu, and when they do, you still you got to deal with the Hulu commercials. So really, at that point, you know, Hulu I think is twelve bucks a month for Hulu Plus. You can get basic cable for about the same, um, and that's the way I would go, just personally. Yeah, um, I honestly don't use XPMC, so I'm really kind of out in the out in the weeds with this one. But uh, yeah, there really isn't any product that i know of that would replace what you're asking for so I, I think you're pretty much stuck with either dealing with it or getting cable we're going to be there it's going to happen you know google is promising their google tv apple is is working on their apple tv the the cable slash satellite method is dying but it's not dead yet in fact, it's still the the main contender. You know, it's um, it's like George Foreman when he came back out of retirement. He's old and he's yeah. sluggish and slow, but he can still knock you on your butt. Uh, that's that's where we are right now. Everybody who's tried to be a contender is getting knocked on their butt by the old guy. Eventually, the old guy's right. going to die, but it's just not there yet. <laughs> and you know, I have a feeling it's going to take a little bit longer to to kill off the old guys. Because they're kind of morphing their products a little bit too, you know. Like, uh, oh, who is it that I have? I have, uh, I don't remember who it is now off the top of my head. But they have a f ability now where you can actually load into your DVR when you're out and about and watch your shows through your device, so your laptop, Slingbox. your Kindle. It, it, it's similar to a Slingbox, but it's not. So it, it it's the same functionality, but without the extra hardware. They yeah. built it all into their own network. So it's kind of a neat little system. I, and if I could remember who it is, I'd say it. Uh, I think it DirecTV. That's who's got it. The Hoppa um, or something like that. But you, Yeah, something like that. But you have to spend the extra couple of bucks on it to get that ability to attach to your account. Um, uh, it, you know, I'm actually halfway tempted to turning it off because we don't use it very often. But the few occasions that I've used it, it, it was kind of nice. And it there was, you know, there what was it, a 45-second commercial to start it, but after that you had full control over everything, so it was kind of nice for me. Uh, John Zim in the chat room recommends NaviX, N-A-V-I-X, for XBMC. I've never heard of it, don't know anything about it. 
John says that's the way you got to go. So there you go. There's a solution from the chat room. Try Navi X. Uh, moving on to his next question about ill-spec laptops. Again, we're still with John. Uh, yeah, this is it's kind of lots, a lots, long one. Lots of questions <laughs> here, but uh, I'm not John, but Joe. Uh, John was in the chat room, so <laughs> all all one email. Um, an ill-spec laptop. My laptop will run hot uh, when running video in Ubuntu. It will run a little warmer running video in Windows 7, but not as much. Won't shut down, but the fans seem to run a little faster, and the heat coming from the exhaust vent is noticeable hotter. Notice, noticeably hotter uh, with Ubuntu Cinnamon. Um, it's an AMD chip and an AMD graphics card, 2009 vintage, so not too old or too new. I've installed the ATI Catalyst driver in Ubuntu with no noticeable difference in performance or heat. Uh, th- is this one of those situations where the Linux, Linux works better under Intel than NVIDIA rather than AMD? Um, I think, and I'm sort of reading behind the lines of what you're saying here, uh, it's actually a flash issue. You're talking about running video, um, and you've talked earlier about how you do it that's just not local media but streaming. I think what you're running into is you've got a, fl- a version of Flash that's not hardware accelerated, so it's making your processor do all the work. But when you switch over to Windows, that version of Flash is hardware accelerated. It's able to hand that stuff off to the chipset. That's why it runs cooler. That's the way I'm reading what you're telling me, that it's not your hardware yeah. at all. It's the software. Hey, that's very possible. Um, and also, if he's using Cinnamon, Cinnamon has an overhead in general because it's running the GNOME 3 backend. So that could be part of it as well, is that it's it's got that extra graphics load from the Cinnamon environment that it's having to heat up the processor for. Then you have your flash issue, and now you have more heat. So that could be a big issue right there too. It's hard to say, though, without knowing more detail on that particular issue. But that's where me and Mark were pro- both probably going to be standing on. Yeah, it's uh, there's not a lot of information there, Um but to answer your original question, the the uh, NVIDIA a, a, uh, AMD, uh, yes and no. Intel and NVIDIA, uh, NVIDIA are sort of in bed together a little bit. You get ma- minor performance boosts between them just because they work together better, but it's not going to be what you're talking about. It's not going to make the fan spin up or make things just definitely work better. So I don't think it's an AMD issue or an Intel issue. I think it's the software you've got running. You know, Chris pointed out GNOME 3 uh, and Cinnamon. That Again, that's a software issue. I, I went straight to Flash, a software issue. I, I don't think this is a hardware thing. I think it's a software thing. Yeah, the other thing you could do is, I can't remember, the. there's a, a set of programs you could install in Linux to see the actual temperatures of your devices. Um, I, I, know it's, I know it uses the back end for, uh, uh, what is it, temps or, no, what the... I can't remember off the top of my head, but you can actually see the temperature of like the processor and things of that sort. You know, it probably wouldn't hurt to power the to install that and then see what the temperatures are without video, and then with flash video, and then with local video, and see if there's a huge power or a, a huge temperature jump uh, going to those different video types. And if I could remember the name of it right off the top of my head, I'd tell you, but I it, it's just not there right now. Uh, Wise one in the chat room says that another Linux podcast, Linux for the rest of us, our good friend, the door-to-door geek, uh, reported that there is a, a root exploit, a security exploit in the NVIDIA drivers uh, for Linux. I haven't heard about that, uh, but I will uh, just want to stop uh, for a second and say uh, 
the door asked me to be on Linux for the rest of us. I did the interview last week. I'm not sure when that episode will air, but episode 133 of Linux for the rest of us, if you're a listener, will feature yours truly. So uh, look for that. And away it goes. <laughs> <laughs> LM sensors. That's what it was. Ha, I found it. All right. LM <laughs> sensors. So that's the the heat detecting thingy. Yeah, it'll it'll read the uh, the temperatures off and tell you what it is. There, there's a, a GUI version and a command line version, so you could do it either way. Okay, cool. Uh, Beat you to it. And then he's got one other question that is uh, a good question and one that we I don't think have ever addressed. Maybe way early on, uh, but it gets lots of newbie users. He says, "How do I undo, uninstall, unupgrade something in Linux?" I installed the Edubuntu packages and desktop with my Ubuntu 12.04 install. Uh, the boot is up. Uh, excuse me. The boot up is not as snappy as I'd like, and I'd like to just revert back to Ubuntu the way it was before I opened the terminal and started installing packages. What is the equivalent of an uninstall in Linux? What about other software? I, I want the latest XBMC version. Do I upgrade or install after uninstalling the old version? Uh, this is where the major distros are trying to wrangle this. This is why you have the Muon installer, you have the software store in Ubuntu, you have, what does KDE call it, uh, or uh, Fedora call it, Chris? Software Center? Uh, yeah, like the that. Software Center. Yeah. So every everybody has something like that. They're trying to bring that all together. Uh, you got to go back to like the Windows 95 days. Uh, that's where Linux is in this realm. Uh, every install, every package has its own installer or has the potential to have its own installer. And it could have its own uninstaller or none at all. And it's not uncommon at all for Linux uh, software to just not have an uninstall, uninstaller. It's just not there. You have to go manually through and delete things if you happen to know what they are. Now, if you installed it with a deb package or an RPM, uh, you can remove those usually through the software center or RPM-U for uninstall or apt-get-uninstall. Um, again, you got to drop to the command line to do that. Uh, but something like Edubuntu specifically, unless they've changed it since the last time you I used it, they ain't none. It just throws a bunch of packages out there, says, great, there you go, enjoy it. And there's no going back. And even if you tried yeah. to reinstall Linux on top of it, Linux is so careful about not overwriting things, it wouldn't do you any good. You'd be stuck with Edubuntu again. Um, again, unless they've changed something since I last looked at it. So that's really a black eye, in my opinion on the Linux distros where they stand and every major distro is trying to corral their developers but in the end in the end it comes down to the developer they have to decide uh, whether they will or will not allow you to upgrade or install but things that are done well through RPM packages or dev packages generally can be uninstalled through some sort of console and upgraded through some, through some sort of console yep well that or you know most of the most of it, see, he's using 12.04 so I would still be using Semantic Package Manager if it's if I remember correctly. That should still have the ability to go in, and if you wanted to remove individual packages, you could. And if you just installed the Edgebuntu packages, you should be able to get a listing of that group and remove the ones that aren't a part of it anymore. The only problem with that is a lot of those um, Edgebuntu uh, tie-ins are going to tie into your regular Ubuntu desktop, so you might run the risk of removing too much. So you got to be really careful of what is it, what it's telling you it's going to remove, because if it's something, and if you don't know what it's going to remove, chance I as a new user I wouldn't remove it just to, as 
you know, just kind of reinstall the, um, what is it, the Ubuntu desktop package? Because that should reinstall all the Ubuntu packages back into default locations and overwrite the Edbuntu boot environment type stuff. So here's my take on that. Um, I, I get from you from your email that you're uh, an, an unsophisticated, inexperienced, unsophisticated, it's not the right word, an inexperienced Linux user. My recommendation here, uh, you know, draconian as it is, nuke that sucker and start over. Because there are probably other mistakes you made along the way, and it's probably going to be beneficial for you in the long run to just start over with a clean slate uh, to get rid of that. Now, there are some uh, things that we've, uh, the chat room is, is suggesting sudo apt get remove uh, edge Ubuntu. So apparently they have put a remove thing in there since I last looked. Um, apt get auto remove. I don't v- vouch for any of those things. Those are just some things being put out there. You know, uh, uh, wise one gives the same advice I did. Uh, back it up and then nuke it. Um, and that's that's what I would do. Back up the stuff you don't care about and then just wipe it away. You know, and to, con- to make a comment about Richard's um, post in the chat room, he, he does said that the app get remove Edbuntu and Edbuntu artwork up splash. That would work, but the problem is is that if he accidentally removes his, removes pieces of Ubuntu that is needed for your working, then you reboot into a dead system. And he, you know, no offense, but you sound like you don't have enough Linux savviness to recover from that type of a thing. So, you know, maybe the easiest solution would be to back up your data and nuke it and then start over. But, uh, or if- back up your data, then try to remove it so that you can rip it, <laughs> you can destroy it if you ruin something. I mean, that's how you yeah. learn, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, the things I learned about computers almost always came from I've got a deadline that's approaching in six hours and I just hose my computer. I have no choice but to fix it. Uh, yep. So you know the, the, that's where the real learning happens. So there's nothing wrong with that, and you know feel free to play around with it. But I think what we're saying here is back up first. Definitely back up first. You never. I would hate to hear that you you started trying to remove things and all of a sudden you hosed your whole system because of it. So make sure you uh, you do your due diligence to have everything backed up, and make sure if you are going to back up, back up the dot in your home directory, you know, show hidden files is a bunch of dot files too that are hidden. You know, if you have a bunch of customizations for like Pigeon and um, Firefox and any other programs that you've installed, that's where they hide those. So you could back up those settings now and not have to redo them all later. Absolutely. And uh, take the opportunity, like we recommend, make a separate home partition so that in the future you can just blow things away willy-nilly and not lose anything. Um, okay, Hussein, uh, we're, we're done with uh, with Joe's mail for now. Hussein offers a suggestion. He says, hello, thanks for the amazing show. Well, thank you for thinking it's amazing. I really like it. I'm an undergrad student at Texas A&M, and I've, had, uh, and I've been using Arch Linux for a while. I always listen to y'all when I'm free. Uh, I think that the website needs some work, and y'all need to post the videos in the live stream section. Uh, okay, thanks for your uh, uh, critique there about the website. As for the videos... Um, I put almost zero effort into video. Video is a bonus for if you take the effort to show up live or go to uh, YouTube and search it out. If I decided to put it on the website, I would have to invest in real cameras and a real backdrop and actually put some effort into it. So that's why um, 
it's not there because I haven't taken the time or the the money to invest in real gear to do it right. So if I'm not going to do it right, I'm not going to put it on the homepage. It's out there if you want to find it. Uh, it's uh, everything for the last several episodes uh, is uh, probably going back two or three months is on YouTube in my own YouTube channel. So you can go do that and that and you can watch it. But until I get serious about video and decide to do it right, it's not going to be uh, archived on the website. So that's just... That's my take on it right there. I'm not ignoring you. Uh, it's something I plan to do. It's just a, a lot bigger deal than you think it is. Uh, doing a podcast, let's say on the difficulty scale, doing a podcast is a seven. Doing a video is 158. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, uh, that's why I'm not doing it right now. Uh, and then moving on, Mike says he's rebuilding a home server. Says I'm trying to build a home server, uh, but have run into a dilemma. I have my own. I have my OS narrowed down to NAS for free, Amahi, or Open Media Vault. I'm fairly new to the open source movement, uh, but probably know enough to screw up my system real fast. I'm able to use a GUI for Linux. Okay, the command line is still foreign, but I'm learning a little each day. The box to host the server is an old P4 with a gig and a half of RAM. I plan to use the system mainly for file, picture, music storage, and perhaps a place for backup uh, hard disk, uh, backup of hard disks. Uh, which one would offer the easiest implementation? Or is there another OS that I'm missing that might be better? Thanks for the help, guys. Uh, my recommendation is going to be for FreeNAS. That's where I would go. Uh, not in your list there. Just because uh, the last time I did research, and admittedly it's been a while ago on this, FreeNAS was the one that seemed to be the most stable, the easiest to use, and uh, the the most flexible. Uh, Chris, what do you think about that? Uh, you know, I've I have not used any of those in his list as well. Um, I'm going to look at a couple of them because they've. Uh, I am looking at replacing my home NAS anyway. Uh, but FreeNAS is a good one. Uh, I do like the massive amounts of options you do get with FreeNAS. But if you're just looking for a server that needs to, you know, you want some redundancy and you have, you know, and you're, you're less than three disks, you know, three disks of storage or, or less, uh, you could also look at Unraid. That's another good one that's free. Uh, they do have a paid version. So if you want to go over that three disk limit, you can. Uh, but that one is... The uh, unrate is point click done. It's it's almost impossible easy to run uh, in comparison to FreeNAS, which does take a little bit of tinkering with to get it to up and going. Uh, Nightstar in the chat room says he does everything you're talking about doing with Amahi. Uh, he's the four users in his house. They use it for uh, video, music, backups, and he's happy with it. So there you go from a fellow Element OP Army member, uh, Amahi is the recommendation. Uh, next email is from Kevin, who gets a little geeky on us. He says, EDL crew, hey guys, I hope this finds each of you doing well. I've become a faithful listener to Everyday Linux and the late Tightwad Tech. I wanted to contact you uh, regarding something you mentioned in episode 93. In this episode, Chris mentioned an issue with Amazon with streaming Amazon Ubuntu 10, uh, 13.04. Truth be told, being an avid Prime member myself who rocks Linux, it's been a consistent uphill battle since 12.04 to force it to run. Some say install how and live how. Others say to simply delete the .adobe file in the home directory, which will force Adobe Flash to recreate that file upon running. All of this is garbage. 
Here's what's worked for me as I use Ubuntu by way of Linux Mint 13, RC 15, 15 RC, 13 as my main partition, 14 to run my Steam goodness, and I'm testing 15 RC to see if it's as good as a 14 replacement for my game goodness. Like I said, geeky. I agree with y'all. Unity is crap. A netbook interface <laughs> for noobs at best. Uh, here is the process to get Amazon to run. So I'm just going to read these off. And if I remember, I'll put them in the show notes. Pseudo make deer uh, slash etc slash eight how slash fdi slash pre probe. Pseudo make deer slash etc slash how slash fdi slash information slash usr slash sbin slash how d dash dash daemon equals yes dash dash verbose equals yes rm dash rf tilde slash dot adobe. There you go people all over the world just turned off their podcast player and said nope too much for me uh, he gives a link to uh, where he got the reference uh, and that's what I'll post in the notes it says I hope this helps uh, a great many of your listeners will no doubt be Linux Mint users like myself Kevin thanks Kevin we appreciate it any yeah, comment on thank that you Chris? A lot. Um, I tried to run it inside of my Fedora box and that doesn't work for me. Um, I actually have to install something like uh, Fake Hal in order to get something even remote. In I almost get it to work then, but it doesn't quite work in Fedora. Uh, the next time I spin up a Ubuntu install, I'll give that a shot and see if it works and report back. Alchemy Dragon in the chat room says he installed on Mint 13 the Hal package and a couple of others, not specifying what those are, and uh, Prime Video worked. So uh, I'm guessing it's just the auto dependencies. So yeah, there you go. You've, you've got a couple of options there. Uh, Boston Peng reacts to our recent show. He says, another great show, although it was a bit lacking without the gooey kid. I do have some feedback for y'all on this week's content. Uh, you scare me with the vacuum to make coffee. What makes it worse <laughs> is I'm curious to know how the shop vac affects the taste of the coffee. I can tell you it's freaking awesome. Uh, point number two, we need more bacon. Just saying. All right, all right, fine. I did go to what they call a farmer's market here. It's supposedly the best farmer's market in Atlanta. It was really a mini mall that smelled like fish. City folk don't know what a, what a farmer's market is. But I did buy five pounds of artisan bacon. I don't know what that means, but they called it artisan <laughs> bacon. I'll let you know how it tastes. Uh, next one, I absolutely love that the ISS is jettisoning Windows, and the fact that they're going with the Penguin makes it all that much better. As a resident of Beantown, I'm not sure how I feel about the city using Google Docs, just on privacy and security principles, but I hope it's better than using Microsoft Exchange. By the way, if you're from Boston, you can't say y'all. It's a rule. Uh, next, I strongly recommend <laughs> Solid XK for Richard as an alternative to Ubuntu. We re we're already testing the June update pack, and it's going smoothly. I've coined the new term Solid Easy. Richard can go with XFCE or KDE uh, for desktop environment, and I suspect he may like whichever one he tries. Uh, next, he hmm. says, I love using KDE, but I have yet to figure out what the big deal is about activities. Me neither. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I've installed the Muon on Solid K, uh, and it's hard to use, and, it didn't and I didn't bother installing it on the new laptop I got last month after my old one drive. Give me Synaptic any day. I'm with you, brother. I do use Solid K Software Manager from time to time, but I love Synaptic, and it's easy to do what I need to do. But I'm a bit of a geek. I hadn't noticed. I really hadn't. Really? <laughs> You're fooling me there. You're fooling me, Boston Pang. Fooling me. <laughs> 
Alchemy Dragon says, I can't wait for the release of the coffee info. I, I, I looked, I keep a doc about all of this, and I, I looked and I've done, um, I think, 12 different varietals uh, in different uh, uh, ways over the last three months. Uh, and I think I'm pretty much narrowed down. Uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to actually build a rig from scratch with parts you can get from the Home Depot so that you can start. You can, uh, you know, I'm going to have price list and the whole bit. That's my, my goal. Then I'll release the information. And Richard in, in the chat room says, bring back the bacon. Fine. I'll go make some bacon. Good grief, people. <laughs> Get back to me in three to five weeks. That's how long it takes to make bacon. <laughs> Coffee smoked bacon. That's interesting sounding. Um, I could totally do that. Throw some grounds in. I've heard of people <laughs> doing that. Uh, putting coffee grounds in their smoker. Uh, that could be cool. Um, all right. Uh, Richard? Bacon. That sounds like a horrible, horrible thing, though. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Richard sends a, an update about his Arch slash LXDE challenge. He's, he's since updated the update, but we're going to hold that for another week. He says, hi, guys. Just to let you know, I've been trying to install Arch and LXDE on my laptop now since Monday night. So far, I've tried 17 times, and each time it's broken at some point. And has meant I've had to start using uh, start again, so I have plenty of time using the command line. It's probably the most frustrating install I've ever attempted. I did install Arch several years ago, and it went very smoothly, but this new install procedure is a complete pain as far as I'm concerned. Even though I've worked in IT for a long time and can find solutions for most problems, this is so frustrating. I would rather want run Windows 8. Kind regards, Richard. <laughs> you're welcome, there. You're welcome, sir. You are welcome. <laughs> Oh, wow. That, of course, uh, I might be in that same boat here in about, what, a yes. month minus a week? We need the Archies to come out in support of their beloved distro because we got a couple of guys here who have nothing good to say about it. Um, and then I see, is this the last one? Yes, it is. Our last feedback from Richard. See, this is going to be under a two-hour show this week because we didn't have the news. Uh, Darren sends us uh, some some kind words. Um Hey guys, I've been listening since the very beginning, episode oh. one. I'm glad Mark cha changed it to what it is now. Yikes. And I feel the show is getting better every week. Well, except for the last show, Seth was missed. I listen to a bunch of Linux podcasts, and I like EDL because it really is the podcast for the everyday Linux user and not the Linux graybeard. One of my issues with Linux is, there, is that there is too much choice. There are hundreds of different distributions, many desktop environments. They're very tweakable, leading to a ridiculous amount of possible combinations, which is Linux's greatest strengthness and also the greatest weakness. I feel most companies don't support Linux because there are so many flavors, spins, and desktop environments that it costs a lot of money to make sure it works in all scenarios. Plus, the support staff would have to know them all as well. With, this is why support on Windows and Mac is so much easier. I'm constantly loading a new VM uh, in VirtualBox and reloading my laptop to test something else, to play with a new distro and try that other desktop environment. Uh, I feel I've become kind of good at a lot of them, but I'm not a master of any. I found a combination of distros and desktop environments uh, that I haven't found a contact of a combination of distros and desktop environments that's home yet. Um, I feel we quite often suffer from the grass is greener syndrome in Linux. I spend more time loading and configuring Linux than actually using it. How do you guys handle this? I'm a server administrator, all Microsoft, and I try to keep it so I only use Windows when I'm getting paid. Some of the other issues I have with Linux is that I can't find a good way to sync my iPad Nano. Yes, I'm a freedom hater. 
Uh, right now, I keep my Mac Mini running OS X and iTunes. Yes, I've rated you guys on iTunes. Thanks for that, Darren. Awesome. And just also, just so I can download podcasts and sync them. Uh, I used to be a Mac, very big Mac fanboy, but I've since recovered. But I still have some artifacts left over to help remind me of my sinful past. I have yet to find a suitable replacement for downloading podcasts and syncing them to my iPod. I listen to podcasts for music all day long at work and would love to wipe out my Mac Mini and put something Linux on it. Probably Ubuntu, since it's got the best Mac support. Okay, enough rambling. Thanks for all you guys do. Whew. Um, I had a long one. moderate success uh, syncing things to my iPad using... Um, what's the stock one that comes with Ubuntu, Chris? I'm blanking on it right now. Um, oh, Rhythmbox. Rhythmbox. It? Yeah, it, yeah. It, found, it found my device... I was able to build my libraries, and I was able to sync over. It would download the the podcast. It would sync them over. I didn't have any trouble with that. So I, I'm not sure why you say you what you've tried hasn't worked. Uh, but if you haven't tried Rhythmbox, give that a shot because it worked well for me uh, for managing things on my iPad. Just because I was just playing, I, I didn't wouldn't actually want to do that, um, but just for playing with it, it does. Um, I would, the, you know, I got an excellent idea there. Um, I know a long time ago I had to play with back when iPad and iTunes and i whatevers um were really proprietary and they they had it really locked down uh they have a fuse module that you could actually install I think it's iFuse I think that's the name of the package but it's it's designed to link to the i devices so that might be something to look at if you're install you know if you have a your your iPad or iPod or whatever and you can't seem to get the rhythm box or whatever your um, media center of the week is try installing the iFuse package and see if that actually helps Nightstar in the chat room says as he uses Rockbox to do that and Alchemy Dragon says uh, he's used both uh, Amarok and Rhythmbox uh, but Richard says, I've not found any way to sync my ad, uh, iPad Nano via Linux. So it could be that the Nano itself is the problem. Um, I, I haven't used a Richard, Nano. Uh, Richard, do you have iFuse installed in that Linux distro? Do you, by chance, know off the top of your head? Um, because it would just be interesting to find out if uh, if, if that helps. And uh, Rockbox, is, just so everyone knows what Rockbox is, I've installed it on my Sansa Fuse, and what it is is it's a firmware replacement for whatever device that you install it on. So you could remove the iPad or iPod Nano firmware and replace it with Rockbox, and then it would act more like any old MP3 player. And Richard says that uh, Rhythmbox doesn't work with a 5th gen or later. I have a first-generation iPad I'm not sure where that falls down in the line of players. I don't have an iPod. I don't have an iPhone, so I can only speak to my experience. Um, but again, we've got a couple of options there. Um, looks like Rockbox is the one that works for most people most of the time. Yeah, and like I said, that does. And I don't know if that would void the warranty on it. I'm sure it would because you're actually you're physically replacing the I firmware on I think actually plugging it device. into a box running Linux voids the warranty. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good chance of that, but uh, I know that I really do like Rockbox on my Sansa Fuse. It, it doubled the uh, use of my device because it started at, it added extra things that I didn't have. So I really do like Rockbox. So 
thumbs up to the Rockbox guys. I hope they uh, they keep working on that firmware replacement. It's awesome. And Darren, I totally agree with your point about there being too much choice. But anytime somebody comes along and says tries to build a standard and cut the choice down, the Linux community excoriates them. That's exactly what uh, Shuttleworth is trying to do with Ubuntu. Say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna say here's one thing. We've by the way, we've got about a billion dollars, and we're gonna throw it into this one set of software. Um, he's not saying you can't do anything else. He's just gonna say this is what we're gonna do, and people call him all sorts of names because of it. So yeah, it's as I've often said, the biggest attribute of the Linux community is the community, and the biggest downfall of the Linux community is the community. Uh, there's yep. you're not going to find anybody who's going to be happy about everything. So I think the choice is always going to be out there because it's so flexible, and everybody who wants to scratch their own itch and knows how to code a little bit can write their own stuff, and so they're going to. Um, that's not a bad thing, but that's why here on this show I like to pick a couple of things and push those. Linux Mint, Fedora, SUSE, if, if you just really want to. And we stick with those. Yeah, there's lots of other stuff out there, and we talk about them. But anytime somebody asks for a recommendation, I say Linux Mint. Because, yep. you, like you said, you got to pick one and stick with it. None of them per- is perfect. You're never going to find a perfect one. You find the one that hits the middle of the road and is expandable and adjustable and that, can, that people can tweak the way they want. For me, that's uh, Linux Mint. For Chris, that's Fedora. So that's, that's sort of the two-pronged approach that you get here on this show. You're going to hear, you're going to be told to either use Mint or use Fedora, and and we're just going to stick with that recommendation. Yeah, and honestly, to tell you the truth, um, with some of the reading I've been doing on the newest GNOME release, I think I'm actually going to change gears a little bit, and I'm going to go over to Mint because they do have the GNOME 3 packages that are available in their repositories built in. So... This this review for GNOME three, I'm gonna just to try. Maybe it's a Fedora thing, and I and I'm having issues with that. But I'm gonna try it and see if it changes anything by moving to Linux Mint. Uh, I'm very familiar with them anyway, so I figured it can't hurt to try. And as for us being the only podcast that really is for everyday Linux user, uh, I joke uh, sometimes that we're the only Linux podcast on the network on the in the world that isn't actually about Linux. Um. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes. We spend just about as much time talking about Android and Windows as we do Linux. But it, it really is about living with life with computers. And, you know, we're freedom lovers, as, as you put it. Uh, and we were Linux advocates, but we're not Linux zealots. So, yeah, we, I think that's what makes us more everyday than other shows, is that we try to not be closed-minded about stuff if that like for example if, if windows is the way you can do something if if that mac mini is the only way you can use this device and you like that device i'm not going to tell you you're a freedom hater and that you should sell everything you own and go live in a commune i'm going to say fine keep the mac mini use it it works uh but yep. it seems a little ridiculous to use a 200 dollars device just because you want to use a 50 dollars device um <laughs> Yeah, and if just so everyone knows, if if you've never heard of the Sansa Fuse or the Clip Plus that they that Sansa puts out, they're pretty darn awesome for the price tag. Um, I I love mine and the the newest Clip Plus that I've been using. Besides being able to sync without a problem inside of Linux, I've also been running with it. And you know, I, I'm a sweaty guy when I'm working out, and it handles being drenched in sweat without a problem. So if that's something you need. Take a look. You know, you might find a good device there without too much expense on you. And see, once I got a smartphone, I never looked back. 
Uh, I've had media players, dedicated media players uh, before, but once I got a, a phone that could do that for me and, and all of the syncing stuff just went away, I load stuff onto BeyondPod and it's there when I get up in the morning. And so when, when people talk about I have trouble syncing, I have to remember, oh yeah, there was a time when I had to do that too. Uh, you poor, sad little person. Uh, but once you once you get that connectivity, and Apple finally saw the light, and finally, uh, you know, seven years now, seven years, but a long time after everybody else let you do it, they said, you know what, maybe we'll let you sync over Wi-Fi too. Uh, once you get that, and, and honestly, you can get a, a smartphone now as cheap as a, an MP3 player. You can pick them up used on eBay. Don't even put a SIM card in it. Just use it as a Wi-Fi device. Um, use it as your MP3 player. You'll be happier. That's what I think. You're gonna you're gonna do away with all that syncing stuff. Go get a used Android device on eBay for yeah you know, I don't. Uh, you can get a really good one for a hundred bucks, um, and all of these problems will go away. That's my little bit of unsolicited advice. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say unsolicited. They are listening to our show, so that oh, that's, that's kind of solicited. Not that I ever ask anybody's opinion when I pontificate anyway. I say what I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, so, Mr. Command Line Tinker, do you have a command line tip for us this week? I don't know. I'm starting to take a little uh, offense to the whole <laughs> tinkerer thing. You know, if, if I've never would have built my own kernel, I would agree with you. And I would say, oh, uh, yes, I, I, I will be a tinkerer. But uh, I've built my own kernels for Pete's sake. Give me a break. All right. Well, well, just to as be far as, just to be fair, you've compiled your kernel. You didn't program a kernel. Okay, yes, I compiled my own kernel okay. numerous times. I think I'm up to about twenty different kernels now that I've compiled myself. So, yes, I I do tinker in the command line. There. How's that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't have a tip. I'm almost out. I pretty much am out of tips for the the everyday users if i start bringing anything else into the mix it's going to be more advanced stuff and i don't know if anybody really wants the super advanced things um you know we we can go down that road maybe i can dig into a little bit of uh you know what lm sensors do or, or things of that sort but you know most of the stuff i've covered you know it, it, we're what two and a half years now into this I'm out of everyday tips. So unless somebody else has something that is a everyday tip that isn't too geeky, um, you, you need to let me know because I'm out of everyday tips. I think this is one section of the show, Chris, where you could let your geek flag fly and just bring on <laughs> the super arcane servery stuff that 0.01% of the nation is going to care about, <laughs> and that'll probably hit about 90% of our audience. So, yeah, bring it on. I, I, I don't think that's a problem at all. All right, all right. I'll I'll start digging into my bag of tricks and finding out some stuff with like UU and code and things of that sort that uh, I use occasionally that might make might might make some of the people kind of twinge a little bit. <laughs> you know, we put it at the end of the show. People are free to just skip over it when they get to that part, but then they might miss Seth's awesome weird stuff link of the week, which sadly we haven't had for two weeks in a row now. I just got a text from Seth that said uh, he's still. Hasn't made it to his hotel, and he's got to be oh. at work at 4 a.m. So uh, the odds of him um, making that uh, just went down to nothing. Uh, but we do miss you, Seth. Uh, we may I, Honestly, I'm just going to say this right here in front of everybody. If this is going to be a problem for him regularly, we will move when we record the show just so we can get Seth back. So yeah. uh, we, we need to make this happen because uh, he's he's uh, he's the third leg of the stool. We're, we're unbalanced right now. We could fall over at any moment. 
So yeah, it's it's definitely something we need to look into a little more deeply. How's that sound? Uh, but it sounds like his new job has him jet-setting all over the country, which is cool, uh, except the fact that you have to be jet-setting all over the country. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you had all these, I didn't even count, six or seven questions good and true from our audience. Uh, one heckling uh, voicemail. Uh, thanks, Grr. guys, for doing that. And we, I want to do more. Give me more. Bring it on. More, more feedback. Um, I'd like to, I would like to be able to do a listener feedback show once a month. So every, uh, you know, every fourth episode, uh, and you know, and, and if it goes to every other episode, that'd be even better. So keep it coming. Um, I know, uh, that, uh, that the audience is growing out there. I see it in the numbers. I see it in the feedback. You guys are spreading the word. Thank you for that. Uh, continue to do so, please. Um, and so anybody out there who uh, uh, remembers to use elementopi.com slash Amazon when you buy something on Amazon, I certainly thank you for that. Uh, that's a, just a, a free and painless way you could uh, tip a little money this way, and I appreciate it. Uh, also, I wanted to mention there are a couple of, you know, we've stopped doing a lot of shows here on the network, and there are a couple of people who have stopped sending their weekly pledge, like they did the $5 a week thing or, or a month thing. They've stopped doing that. I just want to say I, I'm totally cool with that. If we stop doing the show you liked, you should stop paying me. So I got no problem with that. I don't want you to think that I'm mad at anybody over that. And if anybody out there is feeling guilty, you know, I uh, I used to be a Taiwan Tech listener. They don't do that show anymore, but I've been contributing. If I, to stop it. You know, it should be a pay-for-play uh, pay thing. And if I'm not doing what you want, want me to do anymore, stop paying me. I'm fine with that. Um, again, the money has never amounted to much, but it just helps offset some of the costs. So thanks for doing that. I appreciate that. And uh, uh, you can go to elementop.com, uh, click the contact us link, and that will send a, uh, a nice little email here. Or you can just send straight uh, email straight to edl at uh, elementop.com, and that will come straight to us. Or if you, like Wise One, want to be on the show in your own very own voice to insult Chris, you can do that by calling 559-IAM-OPIE. And we're always open to suggestions if you have questions or, or show content ideas or, or whatever. Uh, we, we literally couldn't do this show without you at this point. Like Chris said, we're, you know, we're 95 episodes in, we ran out of ideas at like episode 12. Uh, so we've just kind of been leeching off of you all this time. Uh, so keep, keep, uh, giving us ideas, keep asking questions. You're what keeps the fuel going. We love doing this. We want to keep doing it. So, uh, we need you to help that we, this is audience participation. Um, uh, we can't, we literally can't do this show without you. So, um, if you haven't liked us on iTunes or tweeted us or whatever, however you find the show, if there's a plus it button or a recommend it button or something like that, it could go a long way uh, to doing that. Because I'd like for every everyday Linux user to be an everyday Linux listener. So that's all I got yep. to say about that. There you go. <laughs> all right. So I think that's it. And uh, next week, I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Uh, it will probably be something computery. Um, so thanks for or maybe Linuxy. Who knows? It could even be Linux. <laughs> I didn't want to make that promise because, you know, it may not be. <laughs> well, that's why I said could. It could <laughs> be Linuxy. Lots of activity in the chat room tonight. That's been great. Uh, Richard stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning because he's in Europe. Um, wise one. I don't know where he uh, – well, yeah, he lives in Las Vegas. He must work nights because he left saying I had to go to work. 
So thanks for being uh, taking time out of your schedule to be here with us. I love seeing that. I love the fact that we have a global audience. I get uh, emails from people literally all over the world, and uh, you know, people serving in the armed forces, people uh, who are who are geeks from all over the place. I love it. Um, we have Element Nine Fifty Three says uh, first time in the chat uh, live chat stream. Sorry, I missed most of the show. That's all right. You know where to find us next week. Uh, 8 yeah, come on Eastern back time. and. And maybe so I, next time have a have a nickname so we can actually call you uh, by name. And Alchemy Dragon, thanks for being in the show. Uh, y- your input's always nice to have. So there you go. I'm gonna before this turns into an Oscar acceptance speech, we're gonna in <laughs> uh, that in uh, that here and say uh, thanks for being a listener. Thanks for being with us, Chris. As always, thanks for being the command line, whatever it is you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> toodles, guys. Toodles, and and, uh, and you know what. Grr. That's all I can say is grr. <laughs> so Arch Linux users unite, and that ends this episode of Everyday.